Hello, and welcome to Dance Talks. Today is April 18th, and my guest is Maria Fernanda Urbaez. She is an expert in Venezuelan and flamenco dance and culture. She is an artistic director, dancer, choreographer, instructor, and producer. Her company is Danmar Art and Dance Studio and Danmar Academy of Performing Arts. Maria, thank you for being a part of Dance Talks. Hello. I'm very happy to be here. So let's see how this goes. <laughs> sure. Let's start by you just telling me about your life as a dancer, like the whole story from the beginning, from when you were a child. Okay. Um, I kind of wrote this down, too, because um, I try to not get out of my line. Um well, let's say that I've always been interested in dancing. According to my parents, I was dancing since I was a super tiny little girl. Um, and I began dance and music. Um, I was very interested in it. And according to my parents, I started developing a lot of like talent for it. And I had a um, passion for it. Um, I was living in Venezuela back then. Um, I started dancing when I was like five or six years old. I did flamenco, ballet, tap, um, hip-hop. I did Latin dances, folklore. Um, folklore was not my favorite at the time. I was young, so I just wanted to do anything like hyper and fun and jumping, jumping, jumping. Um, and eventually, I started liking it more. Um, I did a lot of gymnastics and sports and different instruments, piano, cuatro, um I did a little bit of harp as well, so it was very interesting, but my favorite was always percussion. I was very into percussion. Um, and I was doing all this with my sister as well. My sister's name is Daniela, and that's where the name Dan Mar comes from. So Dan from Daniela and Mar from Maria. A lot of people think Dan Mar is actually my name, and I just leave it like that. People always call me in the middle of the street, like, hey, Dan Mar, how are you? And I just laugh. It's like, hey, I'm fine. Um, but initially, <laughs> that name comes from my sister and my name. Um, so I was dancing all this time, but then around 12, uh, 11 years old, I started having, I started noticing like, um, everyone dancing that they were like super straight. And I started noticing that my back was kind of like twisted and like weird. Like I wouldn't look the same as everyone else. Turns out that I had scoliosis. I had a very bad scoliosis. Like the deviation I had in my back was insane. It got to the point where I needed surgery. So I 12 or 13 years old, I believe, I had my first surgery. And I say first because a year later, I had to have another surgery because the deviation kept going. Um, so during those two years, it was rough because I couldn't really dance. I had um, I had to be like in complete rest mode for a whole year. Um, that made me kind of like fall back in the advancements, I would say, with my sister. She, was, she still kept going and, and, and advancing. And here I felt like I was behind. That made me very insecure um, because also in the dance world, you have to be able to be very flexible, be able to contract, to expand, to hyperdo these things. And, and I had two rods in my back. They were placed around my back. So my back completely solidified. So there's no way I can contract or do any actual movement with my spine. Um, I felt very sad about it. I thought I was never going to be um, a dancer. Um, and, and a lot of times I felt very, uh, I guess, not motivated to keep on going. So I started doing all these things. I was like, I became a rebel. Like, I'm not going to dance again. But it, deep inside, every time I heard music, I just wanted to dance, 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 dance. It was my thing here and there. And every time I was mad, I just wanted to dance. I would go to shows and dance. Um, at 15, my parents got transferred and moved to uh, Houston, uh, actually to, to the USA, we moved first to Western Florida. 
And there I was like, you know what? I love dancing. Let's just keep dancing. I started taking dances and I started just learning how to deal with my new body. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to stop. This is what I like to do. And a lot of these teachers started actually being very surprised at the fact that I had two rods in my back, but I still danced the way I did. I still managed to just look at myself in the mirror for hours in order to make my body look as if I was contracting, but I wasn't. I was just making an illusion. And this made me feel very secure. I started gaining that confidence back, and these teachers started noticing my passion for it. They started realizing that I really wanted to be a dancer, a team player, um, and they started noticing some kind of leadership. This is how they describe it. I'm not describing it myself. It would be like, <laughs> you always have this leader um, uh, personality within you. And like people in the class, when they would say, okay, water break or whatever, they would go up to me like, hey, Maria, so how was this step? How was this and that? So that kind of started training me to want to actually dance more um, and to start teaching. And I started noticing that I had a passion for teaching as well. And I was actually very good at it. And I didn't think, you know, sometimes I think that people, just because you're a dancer, that doesn't mean that you are a good teacher. Or if you're a good teacher, that doesn't mean sometimes that you're the best dancer. Um, I felt very good with the dancing and the teaching. And my, my teachers inspired me to do this. Um, they started to actually give me classes to cover for them and start teaching little kids and adults, whatever. And by 15... I started teaching in my house. It had, it got to the point where I was like, dad, I need to start, you know, like, where am I going to be? Like, I cannot just be renting a place. I was 15. I wasn't gaining any money. I was not going to spend it renting a space. So my parents used the living room. They put some wood, some mirrors. I started wow. teaching there. And, and I'm telling you, the room was this big. I mean, it was just a tiny little room. And um it was amazing because can you imagine at 15 years old, I was, you know, Teaching every day became to two hours a day, 10 students per hour. And for our audience, can you tell me how big your room is? Uh, I, I would say maybe what, like, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and maybe eight by 12. And it was smaller than this. Uh huh. It was definitely smaller than this room right now. Um, it was a tiny space. We had just moved there to that area. So we, it was just a tiny little apartment, kind of like a townhome. Um, and and it was great. I mean, at 15 years old, I'm teaching two hours a day. I had maybe like 10 students per hour. I was charging like $10 an hour just for me. My parents started seeing some kind of like, hmm, this is, this is interesting. And I was only 15. I started like managing money, which was very interesting at the time. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. I mean, I was thankfully, I had a very great family. They were giving me everything I needed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started seeing some kind of like future, you know, I was like, hmm, this is very interesting. But I still never thought that this was going to be my career for life. I thought mm. in Venezuela, you're if you're a musician or a dancer or an actress or, you know, here the same. Like people sometimes will be like, you're going to die of hunger. You're not going to make it. I mean, you'll be, you need to be a doctor, a lawyer, a dentist in order to make it. And back then in Venezuela, you didn't have this as a career. Like you wouldn't live out of that. Uh. Um so when we were here, you know, we started doing this and eventually it became to the, it got to the point where I was like, this is, I love doing it. And I was already in 12th grade. So I had to decide, you know, this is the time to start deciding what I want to do at the university. Just to kind of give us some context, uh, what year did you graduate high school? 2000. Uh-huh. Okay. And in that same year is when I was teaching 
and that's the same year that I had to be like, wow, this is, this is what I like to do. And I had to make a decision immediately. What am I going to study? What am I going to do? And I didn't think my parents were going to support me. Both of my parents are engineers, mechanical engineer and industrial engineer. So in my life, I thought that they were going to support me, but they mm-hmm. never said no. I mean, they were already supporting me, but without me knowing it as a mm-hmm. teacher. So at that point, I was like, oh my God, I need to decide what I want to study. And the closest thing I had was graphic design to art. Oh. I was like, let me just go for graphic design. You know, my mom, she always said, why don't you study dance? Why don't you do these things? But in my head, I was like, I'm not good enough. I have two rods in my back. I'm yeah. never going to make it. I'm just doing this for fun. Yeah. To make that long story short, I went to the university to study that um, for that first time, first year. I did my first show parallel to that. And that was the first year that I had my first show ever. I had 30 students and I was so nervous. I was dying of nerves. But the whole thing was beautiful. And then my parents got transferred to Houston. So we moved within that same year to Houston. Um, Where were you before Houston? Western Florida. Okay. That's where I did all this in my apartment, in my my parents' uh, townhome. And uh, that's where I had my first show right before moving here to Houston. So we moved here to Houston, and right there, again, I was studying graphic design, but I was frustrated. I just wanted to dance. I just wanted to keep producing my shows. I was sad now that I didn't have my students. What am I going to do? New place, new people, start all over again. Thankfully, we did. We found some places. I started looking around, and my parents sat me down, and my sister, and they're like, do you want to continue this? I was like, "Uh, yeah, we like it. So we did the same. Our living room, (laughs) some wood. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so mirrors, I started, you know, trying to start getting uh, be known. I started trying to, you know, be part of groups, different groups, get to know the style. Um, and eventually, you know, we decided, um, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's start doing it again. But there was something that was stopping me still, the graphic design. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And when I went to the university, they told me that I had to start again from zero. So that year and a half that I had already done was not going to be able to be transferred and I start crying right there. And my dad is just looking at me in front of this director. He's like, do you like your here? Anything with dance? This girl just wants to dance. And the actual director of the school, the counselor said, yes, we actually have a bachelor's degree in arts, um, in dance and theater. And right there I was like, what? <laughs> and my dad just looked at me. He's like, why don't you study that? That's what you want to do. And I was just like, are you serious? In three seconds, my life completely changed. So wow. I decided to study that. And then after that, six months later, we rented a studio. And here we are 20 years later. <laughs> yes, I started just to. like that. And it was amazing. I, st- I kept dancing for life with my sister. Everything was, was amazing. And in 2007, she passes away um, oh, in a car accident with her husband. She did. Mm-hmm. And um, that point was very hard for me because I didn't know if I wanted to keep on going. I I was like, you know, the Dan of the Danmar is not there. How am I going to do it? Um, but mm-hmm. thankfully enough, we had seven years already in business, six years or so. I had a lot of support from a lot of people. Um, the community, the Katie community had been amazing with us. My parents, they never let me down and I'm still here. So definitely, thankfully, I'm doing something right. I have a great team. My mom, my dad, my husband, my uncles. I mean, I have a lot of family support and the community just has been great with me. So I, I cannot complain. I'm still doing what I'm doing. 
and here I am. So I guess when you fight it, you definitely have it. Wonderful. Well, thanks for catching us up. What a great story. <laughs> tell, me about, you know, tell me about kind of your specialty. Like what's your favorite dance style? Like what do you, what, what's the main one? Um, you can tell us about it. You know, that's always been the question of the million dollars. Um, <laughs> I am never able to answer that one. I guess I would say that the, the ones that I uh, perform the most um, are flamenco and folkloric, Venezuelan folk. Those are the two that actually, I guess, make separate me from the rest uh. um, of my friends. But um, which ones do I enjoy more or which ones do I teach? Um, I specialize, too, in... Uh, Arabic dances. A lot of people here call it belly dancing. Um, and I also do a lot of Latin rhythms, like salsa, merengue, bachata, cha-cha, samba. Mm-hmm. Um, so all those, besides the ones that I study at the university, you know, when I went to the university, University of Houston, I would say here, um, their specialty was modern. And, you right. know, it reminds you that I couldn't contract in anything. So when I auditioned there, I was like, but I have a physical disability, you know, how am I going to do this? And to me, it was scary. Um, it was rough. They made it uh-huh. very hard for me, but I am so thankful because uh-huh. they made me step outside my comfort zone and they made me work so hard for what I wanted. And I remember Miss Karen Stokes and Teresa Chapman and Sophia, Miss Sophia, um, they were all like, if you really want this, you need to find a way because the world is not here to adapt to you. You need to adapt to the world. And if you want to be able to be a part of a professional company, keep going. Your student, you need to be an example for others, not have pity. You know, people shouldn't have pity because you have two rods in your back. You need to be an example. So it was pretty amazing. So I haven't, since then, I haven't been afraid of doing anything and everything, even if I cannot. And maybe I'm doing it all wrong, but <laughs> I try. So Venezuelan folk, flamenco, Latin rhythms, and Arabic dances are the main ones that I do. Yeah. Well, tell us about flamenco. <laughs> well, flamenco, what you want to know about flamenco? Which, which, which part? Because flamenco is a whole new world. We will be here for seven hours or more. <laughs> right, right. Let's start with just the origin story. Like, where, where did it come from? How did it get its name? When did it begin? Well, here's, here's what, um, I would say, for example, um, based on the questions that you have asked me, um, I guess uh, before from from like the question when you when you asked me about my favorite ones and 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 all this flamenco I think um, it's the one that challenges me the most because it's so there's so much information about it and for those of you who don't know like whoever's listening to this um, flamenco is originally from Spain okay it's a dance that's uh, dance in Spain. Um, it originally came there and was danced in Andalusia, okay, the southern parts of um, Spain. And back then, you know, it was more about folk dancing as well. Um, but when with all these influences they had over there, it, it became more of um, uh, what's known today as pure flamenco. So there's there's a lot of history behind it and los moros, like the, the Arabics and all these people coming in and there. And out, that's where you would see, you know, how is it known? Well, by... The, the hand movements, the uh, uh, stomping, the outfits with ruffles, the long tail of the dance, the castanets, the guitar. You find the cante, which is the singing. Um, you, you find now the cajon player. Cajon is like a wood box. That's actually an influence from Peru. 
Peru was the one who actually had that instrument first, but now you see it on the perfect cuadro. Cuadro is like the perfect um, group of performance that you see. So in flamenco, we already know that it's from Spain. Um, it's danced usually either by a girl or a guy. Okay, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have a specific um, uh, gender. Okay, anyone can do it. Um, and one of the interesting things about flamenco is that the older you are, in comparison to ballet, for example, if you're a ballet, a ballerina, you want to succeed, you need to be young. You need to be very young and, 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 and your body needs to be very capable of doing. But after a certain age, you're not able to be a prima ballerina. In flamenco, actually, the older you are, the better it is because then you have more of that maturity to understand all these emotions that are behind it, all these feelings, all this structure that goes behind it, the understanding of the differences. It's such a broad world. It's like, it's, it's like a complete different thing. I've, I've been dancing flamenco since I was, what, seven or six years old. I'm 37 years old, and I'm still learning. It's, it's impressive. Um, it's a beautiful art form. You have dances that are happy, that are sad. Um, you have anything from painful. You can dance to a song that is re, uh, relating death, and you need to have a structure to dance to it. It's not just like a regular song. There's a communication between everyone and you need to know how to communicate with everyone. So it, this can take years to master. Um, but it's such a beautiful art form. It's like I always invite people to learn it. And if you guys want to know more about it, please feel free to either, you know, go online. We have the advantage of that. You can find it anywhere. There's a particular webpage if anyone is very interested in beginning more. That's called Flamencopolis. Flamenco, and then P-O-L-I-S, Flamenco Police. So you can find all kinds of information, and it's, and it's beautiful. Um, but I guess you can ask me anything specific um, besides that. If you want, we have binary rhythms, ternary rhythms. You can, you know, you need to be able to identify which, um, if you're dancing in fours, in sevens, in eights, in twelves. Um, and depending on the accents that you do, the rhythm changes, the outfit colors change, the region where it's dances change. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. anything. Have you been to Spain? Oh, yes. Many times. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And um, actually, the, I go every time that I get a chance, I would say before, because now I have a baby. So my, my, tri- my trips there have stopped for now. Um, but the last time I went was in 2016, and um, every time I go, I try to go for a minimum of a month so I can actually do um, studies there and just, like, keep training, and we do right. certifications, and, yeah, the more, every time you learn something, it's just like medicine. You keep training yourself. How is flamenco different there from here? Oh, <laughs> hmm. well, you find it there in every corner. You know, I mean, you have a guitarist and a singer everywhere. You have schools that are just strictly for flamenco, you know, and, and they train six hours a week, seven hours a week. You go to every single show every weekend. Here is different in the sense that um, maybe you would have to do uh, one show per year because obviously the mm-hmm. community is very small. The, the flamenco community is small. Um, I'm not saying that there's not people interested, but when it comes to dancing, there's not so many students as compared to over there. Um, and I'm specifically talking to Houston, Katie in Houston, because if you go to Miami, there's a lot of flamenco there. 
Um, if you go to probably New York um, and Los Angeles, there's more. Um, so it's different over there, definitely. I mean, you're leaving there, the pureness of it. Here we're all aficionados, you know, and, and, and it's completely different. It's like if I go to Venezuela, it's completely different seeing my shows over there or seeing the people like purely dancing to it than here. You know, it's like we're trying to make a show to educate people, but, but it's not the same essence as actually being in there. And what is in there like? Like, where are you? You're on the, is it, it's in the street, and then where else? What's the environment like for flamenco in Spain? You can go to tablaos. The tablaos are the typical places where you would see flamenco shows. Um, and I love tablaos. There's these tiny little holes because they're not a big theater. This is not a big theater type of show. Tablao is like a small room, um, and uh, maybe 40, 50 people can be in it. And they have, you know, they raised either the the a tiny stage or they have it at the same level and you see this person right here I mean there's no such a difference you know like a theater of 3,000 people 1,000 people and you see right there the singer the dancer the guitarist done there's no so much like lighting and no and in sometimes now these days you find the speakers and the microphones so that everybody can hear it but on the street you would see anyone just doing it right there and in that that sense of of the closeness, the the one on one is is just so spectacular. It's, it's, mm. and, ah, I love it. It's so delicious. Yes. <laughs> yes. Every time I do a show here, I try to do the same, and we try to make it in like small places, you know, so that people can get the vibe and the sense if they haven't been in Spain or in Atalao to live what it would be like if they were actually in Spain. Cool. I went to one in in Seville. Uh huh. Sevilla. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the closest thing that reminds me of it here is Miluna. Mm-hmm. And Miluna is actually big because it's a restaurant. It is big. Yeah. I used food. to perform right. over there and mm-hmm. it's, it's very different than a tablao in the sense that when you're in a restaurant, people are just eating. And yeah. They want to have fun, but mm-hmm. they're not really paying attention to the dancing. So normally if you're performing there, if I, when I used to play over there and dance and entertain, my, I would say my set, my performing set was completely different than actually doing one in that specific tablao for people to actually see the tablao. Meaning, people when they're watching, uh, in a restaurant, they want to see something fun, they're celebrating a birthday, ah, probably, yeah. you know what I mean? So they're, they're, you're just dancing flamenco, but like happy type of flamenco. If you start yeah. doing something very, very deep, very sad, you probably wouldn't connect to the audience in that sense because they're expecting something happy. Or they will be like, why do you have that mad face all the time? You know, and uh-huh. it's not that you have a mad face, but depending on the palo, palo would mean the rhythm that you are representing, you need to represent that. If you're dancing, let's say, seguirilla, seguirillas mm-hmm. is a, a rhythm there um, where you're dancing to like death. You're dancing to like something sad and, and angry. I cannot be happy about it. I cannot be wearing a pink outfit. I need to be wearing a black outfit. <laughs> Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So it's like there's so much to it. So if I'm in a restaurant or I go high, get hired to a private party, a birthday or whatever, I know for a fact that I need to prepare my set based on my audience and what the event is for. Right. And it's interesting to think about how the culture, the different cultures and their context of presenting this dance uh, right. changes it. Totally. And that's one of the things that I love. Like, um, when I think of, uh, flamenco dancing, it's like it immediately, immediately takes me to like, 
um, passion, fire, like strength, emotions, power. If I think of like Venezuelan folk, it immediately takes me to like home, love, pureness, you know, mm. like memories. If I think of like belly dancing, belly dancing for me, it's immediately like thinking of um, beauty, um, elegance, you know, like sensuality, not sexuality, sensuality. <laughs> uh, and if I think of like Latin rhythms, salsa, merengue, fun, party, um, uh, connection, yeah. social dancing, you know, it's like completely different and depending. That's why when people ask me, which one is your favorite? I can't answer which one is my favorite because it also depends on my, my state of mind at the time, my mood. I might be one day right. very happy and yeah. I just hear salsa and that's what connects with me. I might be very angry and the first thing that I hear is like a very powerful flamenco song and I just want to like stomp my heart out. If I go to, I don't know, the supermarket and I'm overwhelmed, maybe I just want to hear something soft and mellow. So it all depends. My body's just meant to dance. Whatever I hear, I'll just move to it, even if I'm doing it wrong, but... It'll just go with the flow. Nice. So who are your teachers? <sighs> well, imagine having having so many different styles um, that I have tried. And I still, believe me, I, I will still go and sign up for any class that I see, even if it's not in my comfort zone. I've had many, many different teachers in my life. Um, and I'm very thankful to each one of them. Each one of them has made... Um, an impact in my life in a different way. Um, from my first teacher ever, um, La Madame, that's how it was called. She was the one who started introducing me to tap and contemporary and ballet and jazz. And then, um, Omaira Oliveros, Oliveros was my first flamenco teacher. I mean, I was six, seven years old. And there's this woman, she was a, uh, she was so sweet, and I just fell in love with it. And, and I remember it was just three of us in the class. She just started teaching it. And I would never forget how much fun she made it for me. And you know how hard it is to teach kids. Sometimes if they're not interested, done. They're gone. And mm-hmm. here I am 30 years later. It, it was amazing. Um, I've had amazing teachers. Omar Oliveros, Damari Ferrer, Miriam Ellie in belly dancing, flamenco. Um, Antonio Granjero here from, uh, he was here in Houston and I took classes from him. Yes. Uh, Damaris Ferrer for, uh, from Miami and the University of Houston. Um, even Terrence that I told you, he's a percussionist. I've had classes with him. Ken Kinesic. I mean, I've had a bunch of teachers that have just impacted my life and I'm very thankful. And I always tell people, and they're hearing this, be always thankful to all of your teachers. No matter if you connect it with them in a deeper level or not, every teacher teaches something. I've heard so many times students saying, this teacher never taught, taught me this. I'm sure they did, but maybe you were not in the zone at that moment. Maybe you were thinking of something else, or maybe you didn't get it at the time, or maybe it didn't click with you. But every teacher at any point teaches something. Otherwise, you wouldn't be where you are. You, you have to compare yourself to how you started to where you're now. And that's what I always say. Be thankful to all the teachers, no matter what, because they always teach you. They always leave a mark on you, no matter what. And always thank them. So I thank all my teachers for doing everything they did and for everything they have learned, because thanks to them is where I am here today. That I feel that each one of them has taught me something that I have been able to use up to today. Awesome. 
what have you seen change over time uh, since you started just kind of how dance has evolved with technology? Well, in technology and in everything, you know, that's a very important one. I was discussing this question with my parents and my husband because it's, it's very interesting how definitely has changed, like in the last two decades, uh, for sure, 10 years, 20 years from, you know, before, it was completely different. Like, I remember when I used to be, um, I would belly dance in five restaurants around the Houston area, and I would only dance with a veil and zilt. That's that's what you needed in order to be a belly dancer. These days, it's like if you need to have fire, you need to have swords, you need to have snakes, you need to have props. So it's it's like yeah, it's and it's very interesting. Don't get me wrong; like I have friends who are amazing at it, but I feel sometimes sad for some friends. Let's say they're afraid of fire, then you cannot compete with a girl who does fire because she'll take the gig from you. Because mm-hmm. people these days, as audience, as an audience, they're expecting so much more now than what it used to be before. So if you're not doing this circus type of mm. uh, show, very um, glamorous, craziness, sort of like, if you're not doing yeah. something like that, people don't get that wow factor. You know what I mean? So it's not the same scene, the traditional old fashioned zeals and veils compared to now I'm dancing with fire all over me and I can do all these tricks and now I get the snake out and it's, 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 it's very different. I wouldn't say it's better or worse. I just think it's different. In salsa, for example, the salsa scene, if you're dancing the typical social dance, now it's not the same as when you start doing tricks. Now you need to be lifting the girl and tricking her, doing all these stunts for the audience to stand up and bow. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So now it's not one period. Now you have to be able to do 20 million. You need to do over splits. You need to do all this craziness. So in that sense, it has changed. And when it comes to technology, I'm actually very thankful for this part. Oh, because before it was so hard for me to, um, you know, do the whole set, have everything ready in less than two days, you know, renting the theater for two days just to have the set designed, to change, you know, the scenery from one piece to the other one in one second. And now with LEDs, with the, you know, the whole, you can just have, you know, your 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 um, screen in the back and you can predict everything. And you don't need to be spending right. so much money on backdrops and on yeah. all these props. So for me, it's actually been a great advancement, if that's a word. Because uh, forgive me for my English and my Spanish. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely, I love it, and I think it's 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 nice. I think we are growing in that department, and I and in my own opinion, I feel better when it comes to that. I'm saving some money too. <laughs> mm-hmm. So for sure, yes. Awesome. And how have you seen your students change? Like you, you went from teaching peers, I think you said when you were 15. Yeah. Um, why were they dancing then compared to why they're dancing here and now? You mean like how are they still dancing right now? What's their motivation? Before, you mean? Like for them? Yeah. Or is it the same? I mean, it's, yeah. For your students. Well, well, you know, that's very interesting. Um, you know, I've always wondered, since I started teaching, I, I thought that the students were going to keep dancing as I was. You know, like I've always been very focused on dancing. Like my life runs around dancing. I go to the mall and I'm not enjoying the mall. I'm seeing, ooh, this outfit, I can use it in a show. 
<laughs> I listen to a song. It's crazy. It's crazy. I'm going and I listen to a song and I'm like, oh, I can use this song for a show. Like my mind just goes around in shows all day, dancing choreographies. And I thought that when I first started teaching that those girls were going to be, I mean, if they're starting to dance, they think the same way that I think. I figured, you know, I thought. But then they graduated high school and college started and they stopped. You know, and, and in my mm-hmm. head, I'm like, but, but why aren't you dancing still? You know, like you can still go to the university. I went to university and I was working full time. I mean, my life consisted of university from 8 a.m. to 4.30 and then teaching from 5 to 10 and then homework at 2 in the morning and taking showers at <laughs> 3 in the morning. You know, and I was taking eight courses, you know, per semester and I graduated magna cum laude. Like, how can you not with only four, you know? It was like I was very judgmental at the time. I was younger. I think I wanted people to do what I wanted them to do. Um, but then I realized that everyone has different purposes and, and motivations to dance. I noticed that there's people who dance because they want to become professionals at it. There's people who want to do it just to relax. There's people who want to do it just because they want to maybe just do it as a hobby or just to compete. There's people who just want to do it because... So definitely that um, that has been um, a challenge for me to also understand it. And back then it was rough because I, I, I expected them to grow with me. And to oh, with yeah. Me. But, but you no, know, I've had people who keep on dancing because they really like it, but they don't do it, um, obviously, as probably I do. I do it this professionally. It's my career. People do it as a hobby. Um, and maybe just four or five, I've seen that they still study. Um, some of my students that have been able to share that passion and they, they've been wanting to go to the university and study that. Um, but definitely, yes, there's people who just have different motivations in life to do it. But either way, I'm, I'm happy and I hope that whoever does it does it for whatever reason. And, and I just invite people to do it because it's just so much fun to be able to do this as a therapy. Um, there's so many beneficial aspects of dancing, you know, I mean, improvement in every sense, coordination, memory, um, uh, speed, uh, I don't know, there's so many, the flexibility, uh, there's so many good factors of this, so. What is it doing for you right now? At this moment, um, I would say it's hard for me to answer that one, because a lot of people I hear like for, for my students, they tell me, oh, this is great because it's a moment for me to relax. For me, it's good to relax. I relax when I'm with them, but in the back of my head, I'm thinking there's so many colleagues of mine who cannot even teach. There's so many colleagues of mine that have had already to close their studios because they don't have the money to pay the rent. Um, so it's, it's like I'm, 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 it, it's weird. Like I have mixed feelings because I feel like I want to help some people. Like I'm not producing enough. And I just shared with another studio, friends of mine, some money. You know, I was like, let me donate this to you. And a friend of mine said, I saw you donating them. Like they're competition to you. And I'm like, they're not competition. I mean, we're trying to survive. You know, it's like at this moment, there's so many people trying to just like find something to eat that is just... How do they make the money to eat? I still have to pay my building. I I still have to pay the rent. Thankfully, I'm teaching, you know, through Zoom and it's been great, but I don't know for how long this is going to last. So in the back of my head, it's, it's, it's relaxing while I see them for that hour. But as soon as I shut down the computer, it's like, 
do we know that this is going to continue next month? Do we know if this mm-hmm. is going to still happen? What, what, what's going to happen with us artists? Like, what, what are we going to do? So, mm-hmm. I'm not we're sure. In, yeah, we're in the middle of week five, I think, of yeah. quarantine in Houston. Yeah. Um, how, how, so how has your relationship with dance changed? Uh, from six weeks ago, I would imagine it was your best friend. Now is it, is it your counselor? Is it, is it, have you lost touch? I think I am in, in, I don't think it's so much about me per uh-huh. se. It's more about my students. Like I feel that if I don't have an answer for them, I feel bad. Right. You know, it's like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like, it's not so much about me. Like at this point, I have so much going on with yeah. my family, my daughter, my parents just moved, moved back here. Like I had not had them for a year and a half. So to a point, I'm kind of distracted. But when I put uh-huh. my feet on the ground and, and I see the other people, it's like, what are they doing? What am I going to do to help them? Yes. You know, it's, that's more what I'm thinking rather than my connection with dance. I've always, I'm always connected to dance. And it's it's a love and hate relationship. There's moments where if something doesn't work on me, like I hate it, you know, and I want to quit. There's moments where the routine kills me and I just Mm want to stop. But if I hear some drums, I listen to the radio and I hear my body automatically dance. So it's like, I can't. (laughs) Yeah. I say all the time, I'm going to quit. I'm done. And then I'm like, no, I can't. I I, I still do it. So Yeah, keep going. It sounds like your relationship has changed. It went from um, being something to pass down, something that was really self-expressive to now it's a vehicle for doing good for others and staying connected. Yes, definitely for that. That um, had made a difference. And not only that, right before this break, we were doing competition teams. So these girls had just competed and we won, thankfully, the whole thing, the Powerball, they call it, Okay, the highest trophy. These kids are super excited. That weekend, when this whole thing started, was our second competition there's no competition, you know, and all this preparation, my show, the end of the year show in June, I had so many little shows here and there. I was collaborating with so many people and it's, it's gone. It's like, so, so what do we do? Well, 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 you know? Um, so again, it's like, yes, I feel like when you're lobby dobby, you know, everything is pink. And right now I feel like it's, it's kind of like block. I see I, I, in colors. If I could describe it in colors, right before this, I was in pink, in a pink mode, and right now I'm feeling like it's some kind of gray. Like it's not black or white. It's just gray. Like I can't see through. Mm. A fog has set in. Yes. Yeah. The unknown, the uncertainty. Your relationship with your students is so important, and it's wonderful yeah. that you're keeping that alive and being here for them. I they love really them. need you. Yeah, I know you too. Mm-hmm. It's it's insane. I mean, twenty years teaching for sure. It shows. I mean, my, it's, I I'm gonna get emotional. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you've been wonderful. So um, we can take a break. <laughs> take a breath. <laughs> This didn't happen before. You just finally discovered something. I didn't think I was feeling like this for them. And it's true. It's like, I just feel for them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. The 
uh, my kids are um, so happy to be spending time with their teachers. You know, it's just awesome for them to yeah. get to see them and to get to see their classmates. Yeah. Um, it really takes us back, you know, at least in our imaginations yeah. um, to those places and that community um, that we so long for. Yeah. Um, I know, I know you want to get back there. Um, what, uh, have you thought about any alternatives? Like what you, what you're going to do? What are you, what are you hoping to do next? Well, we've been, um, mainly concerned, obviously. I mean, we, we, we have a studio too. We have to pay our bills. I mean, the rent, you know, and, and that has been our main concern because if we don't have the studio, okay. Why do we do? Well, we do have a solution. We don't have a studio. I used to teach in my house. I can still do it. You know what I mean? So <laughs> there you go. That, Back to your roots. <laughs> for sure. That is not stopping me. But what's stopping me from doing that is that I do have a staff. I do have an amazing group of teachers. They don't have a studio. And they're depending on me, on what the studio does so we can pay them you know, and, and give them this um, world because to them, this is also another, I guess, escape from reality, you know, and what ha- what stops me too from just saying, well, I mean, if we cannot pay the studio, it's fine. We'll close it. I'll keep teaching Zoom, through Zoom. It's like, what do I do with my staff? You know, do we give them the students too? Do we still work together? They're teaching with me through Zoom. Like we, we do this whole thing and they're teaching through their house and we're helping them. But my, the unknown of having the students wanting to keep on doing this is that's what's, what's killing me. How do we help these people? You know, I'm thankful that I have my husband. Thankfully he still has his job. But some of these dancers, my staff, they don't have a husband who's producing, they probably don't have a job. Maybe they're the main income in their house, you know? So it's like, how can we help if if I'm not able to even continue with this? You know, like if I'm not helping myself, I cannot help them. Mm-hmm. So I, that's the part that is, is, is scary. It's like, a, we want to keep doing this for me, but for them as well. And now that I'm a mom, I think that's why I got like this, because it's it's like now that I'm a mom, I'm feeling even even more love towards these kids like I've always been mm-hmm. in love with my kids but now it's like even even more you relate to them yeah it's you know easy. Mm-hmm. you know them better yeah right yeah I think I've gone through that transformation as well uh, my students have always been my kids you know my favorite people totally. um, but this last summer uh, my my heart just exploded when one of them had grown up and came back to camp as a choreographer and did this dance to a song. And the chorus said, I found love where it wasn't supposed to be right in front of me. And I'm standing there watching all of them dancing and I love yeah. them so much. And I was like, Oh my goodness, this is what this yes. song is about to me. And um, so cute. I was so proud and blown away. Yeah. And you they change our lives. They definitely mm-hmm. do. They teach us to become better because I think I'm also a better teacher every day thanks to them. They're the ones who teach. There's no book telling us how to teach. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, there's no formula for us to, you know, get to know each student. Everyone learns differently. You have to be able as a good teacher to get the best out of each kid and teach them in the way that they are going to be able to understand. And it's, you make such connections with all of them, even in the worst one, the, the, the rebel one, the sweet one. I mean, you have it all. And, and I don't know if it's our mom spirit or what it is that we always want to make them just like be better. And it's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It is. I think we're going to stay together. Yeah. Yeah, we need each other, um, as always, if not more than ever. Yeah, totally. So we'll, we'll see how that comes to be. We have to make it work. Yes, yeah. we have to see. Hopefully this... I have faith that this is going to to be fixed sooner than later. Um, but it's just the, the not knowing when. You know, mm-hmm. and, and like I said, I mean, there's some friends that cannot wait. Mm-hmm. There's some people that cannot wait. And there's some people that, you know, when I lost them as students right now because they cannot pay or if they have low income families, it's like I worry for them. Like, where, where are they now? You know, if this was their only escape, just dancing and I'm and I'm seeing them every day, even if it's one hour, I'm preventing them from doing things that are probably are not OK. You know, and it's like, I worry about them. Like, where are they? What are they doing now? What, are they okay? Like, are their parents paying attention? Um, are they in school? Like, are they doing what they're supposed to be doing in school? What about the people who don't have computers? What about the people who don't have right. these technological things and they cannot even take classes now? I don't mm-hmm. know. My mom tells me to not stress so much about it, but I can't. Yeah. You have already given them the gift of dance. They They have every one of those moves you gave them mm-hmm. and the ones you cheered them on on as they made up themselves um the ones you helped to refine that they brought in with them when they showed up mm-hmm. so you know they have that to yeah. keep them um going and strong yeah. and healthy definitely yeah i feel good for that and and when like you said when they show you with a dance or their improvement, or even if you don't see them again and they just dance somewhere else in another country, it's just so rewarding to know that you put a little bit in that, you know, and, and, and that they're growing thanks to that. You probably just injected that passion there somehow. And in one way or another, I think it helps them to learn about whatever discipline, teamwork, love for your friends, love for your teacher, respect. Um, yeah, there's so many good things about this and I love it. I'm 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 in love with this. My guest today is Maria Fernanda Urbaez. Maria, thank you for being a part of Dance Talks. Thank you so much. It was super fun. Thank you for getting this out of me now. Oh it's crazy. <laughs> Take care. Thank you.